Hello and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. This week we're going to be diving into the world of football once more as we look ahead to the upcoming weekend of Premier League action and look back at the dramatic week as the UEFA Champions League returns. I'm your host and resident Jordi Kieran and today I'm joined by Chelsea and Rangers fan Luke. Chelsea! Liverpool fan Andy. Hello. And Partick Thistle and Southampton supporter Steve. <laughs> Not having it. <laughs> to be so fair, to be fair. <laughs> you basically you, all fair last week, you lads all asked me, says if you had to like pick a Premier League team, I says, which one have you got to swap one? I says, well, probably Southampton. And suddenly I'm tagged of being a little fan of a club I know nothing about. That's all you need to know. They used to play at the Dell and Matt Letitia is a legend. That's all you need to know, really. What is the story with that voice this week? Look, it's proper. It's like you've pulled it from the depths of some subconscious. I couldn't tell you, honestly. I I do actually have uh, have a point of order on this football. Look, we do actually have a point of order on this football. I know. I've got a confession to make, actually. You're going to have to clear something up. This week, in our group chat, it was revealed that Mr. Cavill is an Evertonian at heart. Was a troubled young man. So when I was younger, I chose a team that played in blue. And I was much younger. I was only about 10 years old. And my friend, <laughs> Mark, who probably listens to the podcast, was an Everton fan. And I liked the Everton top at the time because it had the big NXT logo. And it looked cool. So I got an Everton top and that was cool. And then later Everton on... tops have never because, been cool, let's be and, and then actually, worse still, worse still, and Andy's going to take this out of me, I then decided... I would be a Liverpool fan for a while because I quite like Liverpool <laughs> oh, too. Oh. And then, oh. not only that, but I then also had a bit of a soft spot for Newcastle. Oh, so, that you know, one I like. That one I like. Yeah, I don't mind that. See, but I did really hate Partick Thistle, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Nobody hates Partick Thistle. <laughs> Nobody cares about Partick Thistle. <laughs> most people don't even know who they are. <laughs> but, but ultimately, when I. I think Gianfranco Zola was was really my hero, and 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 you know pretty much from and and Hulet and all them were amazing, and that was kind of thought. You know what? I really really liked Chelsea. So how old were you when ball. you eventually picked Chelsea after, well, ping ponging oh, through the league? The I am about a hundred years old, so I, I was probably about, about eighty five or something because I was <laughs> set in and stuff. You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think he's keeping his cards very close to his chest. I like Spurs now. (laughs) (laughs) Can't go changing again. You you just keep following teams that lose. And And Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, I'm an Arsenal (laughs) fan now as well, actually, because I like David Luiz. What can I tell you? (laughs) Christ almighty. Anyway, moving on with the well, getting on to the games. Um, we've had another game week come and gone in the Premier League, but since we're doing the pod on a Friday this week rather than the normal Tuesday, uh, we're going to look ahead to the coming games um, rather than looking back. This weekend, Wolves take on Leeds United in the Friday Night Football, which is due to kick off in about 45 minutes. Uh, Manchester City host Arsenal on Super Sunday, and the Saturday evening game sees the second Merseyside derby of the season. Boys... Going into this weekend, Manchester City are 10 points clear at the top of the division, having won both of their games in the last week um, and even the playing field in terms of games played. Um, is the title race as good as over, Luke? Do you know what? I think it is. I, I mean, unless unless City have a massive injury crisis and, and you know, have a, a collapse, 
um, you know, a, a sort of Celtic style collapse, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. I just can't see it. I just honestly, I can't see it. I think, I think pretty much they've got it. Uh, the, 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 you know, pretty much got it tied up, and that's that. Pretty much. Steve, would you go along? You talk about, um, you know, if City have like a big injury crisis. Um, yeah. I think we, we kind of, we talked about this at the start of the season. Um, when it comes to squad depth, when you compare City and you compare everybody else, it's 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 night and day. Um, and so <laughs> they lost De Bruyne for a good portion of the season and Gundogan comes in and Foden comes in. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Marius picks his picks his game up. There's just the the whole team is studded with quality. And when one down, it, it's next man up, and it, you just don't notice them. They don't they don't miss a beat. Um, I think the only time we ever saw a problem was when they had problems at the back. Uh, when when they got Ruben Diaz in, uh, his partnership with Stones, it just solidified mm-hmm. that. And since then, they've just looked unbeatable. Haven't they just? Well, they have pretty much been unbeatable. I think it's um, 16, well, 17 or 18 games. Uh, 10 wins in a row, which I think is, is their, their club record. Yeah, I actually club? think it's more than that. I think it's I think it's more like about 17 or 18 in all competitions now. I think that's uh, unbeaten rather than in a, wins in a row. But I, I, think they've, I think they've literally won about, eight, about 17 solid. Let me have a quick look. Um, all right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Exactly seventeen games won in a row for wow. Manchester City. That's, that's more than I thought. That is I staggering. They, I think their last loss I can see here is that two 0 loss to Spurs in November. Yeah. I think, but from what yep. I can see here, yeah, I think that's that twenty right. that twenty four games unbeaten and have won the last seventeen in a row. Yeah, the last game they played that they didn't win was the fifteenth of December when they drew with West Brom. Yeah, wow. that's crazy stuff. That's, isn't it? We talk, I mean, we talk about how much the uh, how, how much we kind of shoehorned games into the Christmas and New Year period this year because you know COVID COVID took a little bit of uh, the season away, but um, you wouldn't know it with City. The team mm. has, has been so fit, so fresh. You know they, they've executed their game plan in every single match. Even games where you'd looked at it and you'd said City last year, maybe even the year before, would have kind of stumbled a bit. No, they've never. The thing is, they never look like losing. They get that early goal and they just push and press. I think the team that looked more most likely to beat them was um, a three-two cup win. Remember that they were well, a goal down yep. with a couple of minutes That's to go. Uh, Cheltenham. That was Cheltenham. That's it. And that that was back months ago. Absolutely months ago. And that's the closest we've come to seeing them. You know, look as though they were, they were struggling a bit. Yeah, I mean they've just been. I mean, Cheltenham game was. Um, it wasn't that long ago. It was the twenty third of January. But yeah, it's been a bit of a wild ride for City. But the reason why, uh, as you say, they've been doing so well is the fact that they've managed to maintain their fitness. Um, Andy, would you say that that is the main difference? The basically the squad depth is the main difference between City. Um, and the current champions, Liverpool, and why Liverpool haven't really been able to maintain a challenge this year. Yeah, I think so. And I think if you look at even last season, I think I always said to people that whilst Liverpool got the best starting eleven, I think City always had the best squad depth. And I think um, the season proves it as well. And I think they haven't had too many injuries. Obviously, you think of like people like De Bruyne and people like that. Um, but apart from that, I can't think of too many other uh, major, major players that... Um, 
have been really missed and they have have missed time for injury. I think Guerrero has missed a lot of time, but I think he's mm. at the wrong end of his career anyway. Uh, but I think the Bruins is the only real one I can think of that I'd really. Still say, I mean, you can't. I, I would argue that it's hard to say City haven't re, have gotten lucky with injuries this year in the way that Liverpool did last year. Just based on the fact that Kevin De Bruyne hasn't played for over a month mm. and Sergio Aguero yeah. has played like twice all season. Mm. That's exactly. two of the best players right there. Yeah, and even the season when they beat us to the league, uh, when we got like 90 odd points, uh, I think I might, I think I might think I think De Bruyne missed a lot of that season as well, and they still got a did, massive yeah. amount of points. Yeah, so I think they I think De Bruyne is by far the best player in the league and by far Leb City's best player. I think at the same time, I do think that mm. um their team doesn't seem to miss them that much. They still seem to find a way. And that shows credit to first of all the squad, but also credit to Guardiola for the way he's still getting the team to play the way they are, despite the injuries that that, that they've had. And I think that you guys are completely right. I think they are going to run away with the league. I, I think and Manny were the best chance of stopping that, I think, but I think with recent results, I think even they probably um aren't going to be able to catch up City or anyone's going to catch up City uh, for that matter. I mean, and even if a team did manage to catch up, um, I think Sydney have got an extra point in terms of goal difference, really, um, as the old adage goes. City's goal difference is plus 34. Man United's is plus 19, so it's a 15-goal swing. (laughs) I think half of that came against Southampton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, even with a 9-0 win, they're Mm. still 15 goals behind, so that's, that's crazy, really, isn't it? Here's a question for you. What's Liverpool's goal difference this year? Despite um, having like the, the golden triangle up front. 13. They just... Hmm? 13. 13. I'm going to guess, because we lost 7-2, but we also won 7-0 against Palace. So that sort of rules each other out. Um, I'm going to go for plus 8. It's plus 13. Mm. Oh, right. I thought that was your guess. That, the actual no, answer. no, that was... Uh, I, yeah, I just asked, and, and he just looked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like um, they've scored forty-five, conceded thirty-two. So yeah, plus thirteen. Too bad. It isn't too bad. Um, but I think it's the uh, maybe fifth, fifth or sixth best in the league. Yeah, mm. which is well about what Liverpool are this season, I guess. So um, we'll actually come on and talk about Liverpool a bit. Um, they did hit back from some dodgy domestic form with a quite a decent two-nil win in um against Leipzig in midweek, um, which we will have a talk a bit more about later. But looking at the league, Liverpool sits sixth. And the loss this week could see them fall even further behind the top four. Luke, would you say Liverpool are in danger of not even qualifying for European competition at all? No, I I think they'll come good. I do do think they'll Mm -hmm. come good. I mean, I'm I'm sure Andy's probably got the the same sort of opinion. They are a good team but yeah. they are a bit mixed up tactically at the minute. And I think the minute that they see sense and and, and put Henderson back into central midfield, I think that's when you start seeing the ship right itself. Uh, at the moment, they just look a bit out of shape and I think they just need to, you know, Klopp needs a bit of time just to see that and analyse it. And I think he's a clever man. So I think he, I think he will realise that that's really what's needed to, to sort of sort things out. Um, and, and and you know that that for me anyway, I, I still think they're they're going to be there or be you know up there or thereabouts. I don't think they'll miss out in Europe altogether. I think they've got a fight in their hands to make sure they get a Champions League spot. I think that's the big challenge right now. Um, yeah, same as everyone. I think you know we're all in the same boat really. Yeah, 
Andy, I mean, Klopp has conceded the title. Um, mm. Mm. What is it that Liverpool are fighting for this season now? Is it just that top four place? I think it's, yes, making sure we qualify for Champions League next year. And I think also, I think whilst we're in the competition, I think he's going to, I think for me, I think maybe recent results in the Premier League, I think maybe is will give us more more inspiration to do our Champions League. Maybe this will give us more of a, Focus on Champions League, where I think before we've always been always Premier League over Champions League. But I think um, I think the way the last month or two has gone, I think that, that this will really I think make us focus on Champions League a lot more than maybe we would have if we were going over Premier League at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we will um, put all our eggs in the Champions League basket, but at the same time, uh, still obviously play strong teams in the league because we need to um, make sure we don't miss out on it altogether. So yeah, I, I think. Our aim should be top four and try and get um, try and get a good run in the Champions League going and try try and get as far as we can. Um, so let me profit you this then. Liverpool get to the end of the season, they finish sixth, but they win the Champions League. Is that a successful season? For me, yes, because um, obviously we won a trophy, um, and obviously I realise that we finished sixth, but at the same time, if you win the Champions League, then you're already in the Champions League. Yeah. Exactly, I think we, we've achieved our goals, albeit not the way we expected or wanted it to be. But I think if we can get a seven European Cup, then I think to me that will, that will be, I think everyone will be happy with the season. Um, obviously, if we got to the final and lost it, different story altogether. But I think if we go, if we do win, if we did win the Champions League this season, I do, I would say that's a definite successful season for me because I think, um, most, a lot of Liverpool fans. The European Cup is sort of synonymous with Liverpool. In terms of English teams, I think uh, we've won it the most times out of any English team. And I think that um, there's something about the European Cup that Liverpool seem, seem to love. So I think, yeah, that, I think that, that would be a really good, successful season for me uh, if we can win the Champions League. Uh, Steve, you disagree? No, here, here's the thing, right? As soon as Klopp said, I'm conceding the title, right? All Liverpool fans thought about, and it was nothing to do with the Champions League. They were like, this season's a write-off. All we want to do now is finish ahead of Man United. Because Liverpool fan thinking is small-minded <laughs> and petty when it comes to anything other than the, the, the title race. right? So right now, Liverpool fans, in the back of their mind, are, right, the title's gone, let's just beat United. okay? And the only way that's going to happen is if Harry Maguire continues to play like Harry Maguire. Because apart from that, the rest of that United team is rocking right now. So in terms of uh, the situation I presented, if Liverpool didn't win the Champions League, but still finished sixth and therefore had a season of Europa League ahead next season, what level of an impact do you think that would have on the club? (laughs) Uh, uh, Well... And I know we've seen some kind of parody banners out this week, and Andy's pointed out that uh, you know those are Photoshop jobs. But yeah. I genuinely think that we would start to see some Klopp out banners. I genuinely think we would see the fans turn on Jurgen Klopp. Um, I don't think they would turn on the board because they recognise that that wouldn't make a difference. Um, but they they would look at Klopp and say, "This is the same team that last year went out and won the league at a canter." It's lost maybe one or two players, and it's brought in one or two players. Why have you? Why have things dropped off so dramatically? I mean, if you look at this stage of the the, the this Premier League title race last season and this year, 
Liverpool have got to be at least, what, 30, 35 points behind where they were last year? This is insane. This is like, you just don't see this kind of drop-off in form. The last time I remember seeing a drop-off in form this bad was when Ranieri's Leicester won the league and the next season were almost really on the verge of relegation before he got sacked. You know, there's something truly wrong at Liverpool, Mm. right? Klopp has, there's something wrong in his relationship with certain players, um, and it's it's little by little it's showing been showing on the field for the last six to eight weeks, and it's it's got a stage now when it gets to the end of the season, he needs to have a clear out because there's a lot of dissenting voices in that dressing room. He needs to rebuild his team with his people. Andy, um, I just want to say that I think all fans, rival fans, say they want to finish above their teams. I think Man U fans will always say, "Along if you finish above Man City or Liverpool," and I think. Um, I don't think that's just a Liverpool thing. I think a lot of fans want their rival team to do worse. Now, I don't think it's just Liverpool that say they want to finish above a certain team. But I do think if you look at Twitter, look, if, you t- if you go on hashtag Klopp out on Twitter, first of all, anyone who actually believes that he's an actual Liverpool fan, first of all, is um, not sure they know what they're talking about if they think Klopp should leave. Uh, but if you look at a lot of my... I saw one that had his Twitter profile has had um hashtag come on you Spurs. I saw one with a... Was a Lacazette and a Bamiang on his profile pictures? I think it's just rival fans trying to spike, trying to stir things up. I don't think if you look at if you look at lots of the profiles that say cop out on Twitter, a lot of them are just rival fans. They either have Martial on their yeah. profile picture, or they'll have, yeah. um, for example, I think one had um, Timo Werner in a Chelsea shirt. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, for me, I think it's just rival fans trying to spice things up. But I don't think many true Liverpool fans actually want Klopp out. I think it's just a few few of the yeah. plastic fans, a few of the ones that have been bandwagoners yeah. or remembered their Liverpool fans in the last couple of years, or it's just people that just have no idea how football works and what what, what it was like before Klopp came in. So for me, I think, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't believe that anyone should be really chanting Klopp out. I don't think it's good for the team. I don't think as well if they just keep doing that. So I think, yeah, I think anyone who's saying Klopp out should really rethink their, their brain. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I would ever class Twitter as the best barometer to uh, gauge how a fan base is feeling towards one situation or another. But um, I, I, I do agree with you for the most part. It is just um, rival fans mocking on the club out hashtag. Most Liverpool fans uh, seem to be relatively behind him. But there are one or two Liverpool accounts cropping up here and there. Liverpool accounts that have been around uh, on the... Um, the infamous football Twitter who are calling for club out. Um, I don't know if these are just silly little children running these accounts or what, but um, there have been a few, Steve. I'm just, I mean, obviously, I, I until Andy mentioned that, I didn't realize it was a Twitter account. And I thought I'd go and go quick look at it. And, and some of this is great, and some of it you're right. I, I look at it and I think this is a troll account, but then some of the stuff it retweets, and I, I look at it and I go, these are genuine Liverpool. He, retweets genuine Liverpool fans when Liverpool fans have negativity towards Klopp. So, I mean, there's one here, it's like a call at uh, the sports bar on TalkSport, and he says very clearly, and this, Kieran, you'll remember this, because this is very much a Klopp at Dortmund thing. And says, I don't think he'll win more trophies with Liverpool. The club is starting to go backwards. That is very reminiscent of Klopp at Dortmund. And again, we've talked before about how when Klopp starts to get a little bit snippy, when things aren't going his way, you know, he's he's slowly going back down that same path that he was at Dortmund. He 
he's slowly morphing into Mourinho. I, that that game against Leipzig, I think, is going to paper over the cracks. I think at some point in the next two or three weeks, there's going to be a really bad Premier League performance, and he's going to come out and he's going to slate one of his players. And when that happens, he's gone for Mourinho, and there's no going back. Yeah, but Steve, you, you say this, but um, Ferguson used to get snappy. Guardiola's been snappy in the past. If you look at any top manager in Premier League history, most of them get snappy at times. So I think, I think he's just obviously it's just it's just um, obviously a product of bad form. But I do think it's not just Klopp that gets snappy. A lot of the top managers in the league, or even the ones in the bottom end clubs, that every manager gets snappy now and again because um, of the frustration of their performances. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's just Klopp that's ever, ever been snappy to, to the media. Luke, what do you make of this whole situation? <laughs> Um, I, I think I think Klopp's got enough credit amongst any real self-respected Liverpool fan to to really not be calling for his head as of yet. Um, but but you know the, the the interesting thing I think is that when you are a big club and you aren't uh, competing, then it's inevitable you're going to get a small but relatively vocal minority, you know, shouting out and and, and you're going to get trolls as well as Andy correctly points out. You, you are. I mean. Everyone knows it, and and you know, with with such a rivalry between like United and Liverpool fans, for example, that's an absolute certainty you're going to get these guys trolling left, right, centre. But I don't agree with you, Steve. I don't think he's gone Phil Mourinho. I think he's, I think he's got hung up on the fact that he's he's signed centre backs and he hasn't got them in position. And I think he just needs to wake up and smell the coffee and realise that if he's bought a couple of centre backs, he needs to just play them or play one of the young lads and just get his midfield sorted. If he wants to play his tactical game, which is dominating space, he's got to do that. It's that simple. Um, so, so for me, I don't I don't buy the whole uh, Klopp's losing his job thing. I, I think if he gets to the end of next season and he's not there or thereabouts for the title, then that's a very different story, but not this season. Def- definitely not, no. Steve? I, I just want to ask Andy, and this, this, this is a very direct and very straight question. If Liverpool sack Klopp, who would you want to replace him? Um, first of all, not Gerard. Not that I think he'd be a good manager, but I just think it's too early, and I think that he needs more time to learn. Um, I, I just think it'd be too early. Um, if you asked me this five months ago, I'd have said Pochettino, but obviously now he's at PSG, so there's no chance he's leaving. Um, obviously, that's the thing. There's no one better than Klopp out there. That's the thing as well. Like who who is out there? I mean, the only one I can think of that I think. I've mentioned this before. I think he's really, he's really due a big club. Is um, is Julian Nagelsmann of, of Leipzig? I think that that would be my choice if they sacked him, which I wouldn't want to happen. But I think people who are actually realistically available that that I think we could we could we could get. I think um, especially with big players leaving now Leipzig, I think maybe their time maybe might be up. But I, I think Nagelsmann for me would would be my choice. But um, I, I just can't see at all Klopp leaving unless it's his own decision I, I just can you see I can't see a second Klopp at all for at least the next two years if if um, things continue to go badly just working on Rogers? that oh, I love Rogers I, 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 have, I have a lot of time for him and he's probably my second ever, ever second ever no probably third favourite local manager of all time behind Benitez and Klopp I, I used to love Rogers, so I'd be happy with that but obviously I think he's Doing good enough job at Leicester, I don't think he needs to go back to Liverpool personally. Just um, let me interject there, boys. Um, just on the whole situation, working off Steve's high th- hypothetical question, 
for Klopp to not be in his position um, next season, Liverpool would obviously have to not finish in a Champions League place this season at the very least. If that happens, why would why would Julian Nagelsmann leave Leipzig to go to Liverpool? Why would he leave it? Why would he leave the team who are at this point in time the only team capable of challenging Bayern Munich in Bundesliga yeah. for yeah. a team not even competing in the Champions League? Well, I think that their best players leave, or I think one of their best players is leave, is leaving for Bayern. So I think that could next season see um, them fall away, especially with I, I, Germans must hate Bayern Munich so much. I really would hate Bayern Munich if I was a German football fan. Um, Don't worry, everyone maybe. hates Leipzig more. <laughs> that's probably that's probably <laughs> true. Man. I mean, it's like um, how do you want to be killed? Do you want to be killed being hit by a bus or being hit by a car? It's um, yeah. It's whole, it, it, both teams obviously hate it so much, but I think maybe the maybe he wish he wants a new challenge. Maybe if obviously they all bring a massive, massive club, the English Premier League being a massive, massive league, that's maybe a draw. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, yeah, I, I, it would be an interesting question, and I'm not saying for a second that I don't that I don't think no, he'll take yeah. the job, but looking at it objectively. Um, a lot of people would question would question whether or not he would take that job because he'd be going from um, basically what he's got going at Leipzig is a really good project. Um, you say they're losing one of their best players, and yes, they are doing that, but one of the things that Leipzig have demonstrated incredibly well over the last few years is their ability to recruit well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no doubt that Leipzig will find a suitable and adequate replacement for their Upamecano. Uh, um so they will be uh, and they're going to be in the Champions League next season and next season the chances are they're probably going to be alongside Dortmund um, one of the two real challengers for Bayern Munich um, depending on how Marco Rosa's move to Dortmund goes Um, so going from that to managing the team who are going to be let's be honest in this hypothetical situation competing in the Europa League um, Mm -hmm. and in a bit of a transition period it, it it's a, it would be a, it would be a move that people would question. I would think. Yeah, you're probably right there. I mean, I mean, I think even if he finished sixth and didn't win any trophies, I think I don't think Klopp's job would be any danger. Because I think this goes for a lot of managers, maybe in the Premier League, that because of the whole situation that it was a short, it was a shorter season, um, sort of the amount of condensed games. Maybe some owners may take that into account. Um, obviously, not not every owner. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we've seen some people sack this season, but I, I do think. The owners would realise what he's done over the last three years, and I think they've, yeah. I mean, unless they really fall out, then that's the only way I think they would get rid of him in the next in the next eighteen months. Yeah, I do think you're probably right on that one. Anyway, we'll move on a little bit from Liverpool. Um, yes, please. <laughs> and we'll move on. We'll move on up the table to a team who are no doubt suffering from some serious vertigo um, and having to dampen a few nosebleeds at the moment uh, as West Ham United who currently <coughs> occupy the fifth place position in the table. Yeah. Steve, has David Moyes repaired his damaged reputation this season? You're on mute, bud. Just keep him in mute, it's fine. Ah, yeah, very good. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, <laughs> Moyes... Moyes has absolutely repaired the damage to his reputation. Um, we, we kind of he became a bit of a laughing stock after the whole Sunderland thing, but um, I think what he's done, he's come in and he's he's put that same 
level of organisation into this West Ham squad that he put in all his previous squads. Um, he's got that same kind of team, that, that same kind of you know togetherness that he had when he was at Everton. Um, I think he's. I'm not going to say locked into some talent. He's had some there's some real talent there that's probably mismanaged many times. Um, and in Thomas Suchek, he's probably you know surprisingly picked up one of the best midfielders in the league. Um, and we, he's one of those players that I've, I've kind of followed what he's done in the last you know six to eight weeks. And then gone back and looked at his career. And I genuinely can't believe that someone that looks like that and runs like that is such a dominant box-to-box midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> he just he looks like Peter Crouch when he runs. It just it's bizarre. But yet, you know, his touch is better, it's got better year over year. Um, you know, he I was reading up in some of his history, um, and he, the the coaches when he was at Red Star. Uh, really wanted him to play centre back because he felt he was more suited to that physique, and he had to fight in a weekend week out to let them play and let him play in midfield. Uh, and obviously, just over time, you know, he's developed. He's developed the right way. He's come through the leagues, come through the you know from right the way up through the the um, is it the Czech leagues. I can't remember where Belgrade, uh, Serbian leagues, Serbian, Red Star Belgrade. Yeah. And he's just you know he's arrived at West Ham at just the right point in his career. Um, I actually think. Uh, his end game is to go and play in the Bundesliga. Um, I think he would be a really, really good fit for for the likes of Munich mm. and Dortmund, maybe next season, maybe the year after. I think West Ham, with his performances this year, will struggle to hold on to him. But what he's done is um, he's kind of elevated the players around him. Mikel Antonio um, last season was a standout for them. And this season, he's still a standout, but we don't notice it as much because the talent around him has been elevated so much. Um, Jesse Lingard came in only, what, three weeks ago? He, he looked like he hasn't missed a beat. Um, and I, I think I said in a previous podcast, I felt that um, West Ham were best suited by uh, not playing Mark Noble so much. Yeah. And Moyes has actually taken it on board. Noble's played a lot less this season because there's a lot more selection options in midfield and West Ham will benefit from it. They absolutely have. Maybe uh, Moyes should consider hiring you as a second in command, man. I think not. <laughs> I think he'd be a bit harsh, to be honest. <laughs> Luke, um, Luke, when you're looking at the table and you're looking at West Ham, they've obviously had a very good season. Um, but if you yep. rewind the clocks back to the first day of the season, uh, they lost to Newcastle at home. The performance was dire. And a lot of people looked at that and went, oh, West Ham are going to struggle really badly this year. Mm. What's changed mm. between then and now? It's really interesting, actually. Um, maybe selling Haller has made a difference, and real maybe we realise, you know, that they're not going to uh, take failures in the team. I don't know. Um, yeah. I just think I think as Steve says, I mean, and, and it's not always often that I, I completely agree with Steve, but actually I do on this occasion. I think it is just putting more organisation in the team. Sorry, Steve, I'm just uh, I'm just being unduly harsh here, <laughs> 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 just because I can. Um, no, I think I think it is I think it is a function of 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 getting the right system to suit the players and to put good organisation in place and, and fair play to him because I was pretty harsh about Moyes in the earlier part of the season and I'm kind of eating my own words now and, and sort of saying, you know, he, he's done well. He's done well. It'll be interesting to see if he can carry on because, you know, obviously you need a good bit of luck to carry on to the, the rest of the season and finish yeah. and, and you know the tops um, six spots. But uh, but fair play to him. 
they've done a good job. They've worked very, very hard. He's um, the key thing, I think, actually, one of the things that we're going to mention was that he's kind of kept Martin Noble on site, but on side, but kind of managed him out of the, the team as, a, as an automatic first choice. And I think that was one of the key aspects of man, man you know, man yeah. management that he's put together. And, and I feel that, that like, um, you know, because Noble was a good player, but I think he's reaching the end of his days as an automatic first choice. And I think I think everybody's recognised that. Yeah. Uh, and no harm to him. I do, I do rate him. He's had um, a solid career. And he has had a really solid career. Yeah, exactly. But that's a, that's a good example of the kind of things that he's done in terms of making the right calls at the right time. So so fair play to him. And uh, apologies for being completely harsh about him. Um, that's just the way it is. If you're listening, David, sorry. If he's listening, then bloody hell. Uh, Andy? Yeah, no, I'll be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that um, sometimes it just takes people, just time to get the players used to their ideas. Um Actually, I did write a piece on this, actually. So if you head to thesportsdispatch.com, you'll find my piece on the um, David Moyes rebuilding his reputation there. Um, shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug number one of the day. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, obviously, we've seen Jesse, as Steve alluded to, I think Jesse Lingard um, seems to have, I mean, I watched him in the game midweek. I forgot that he played now um, in, with the Sheffield United midweek, where he, he was he's, he's exceptional. Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't get a goal, but he... Um, he was he was pretty well and obviously he scored those two goals on his debut. Um and I think, yeah, I think Suchek's been an amazing something. I think Declan Rice, whilst I think he is a tad overrated, I think he is good for his West Ham side. Mm. And I think mm. he's been um it's it's a testament to him really that he's so young and he's already been the, the standing captain whilst Noble's not played. I think that shows a bit about his character, but also his leadership. Um and I do think he will get a move to probably someone like Chelsea or Man U, I think maybe in the summer. Um, and I do think overall, yeah, they seem. And if, when, I, when I wrote the article, at the time of writing, they'd won about four in their last five or six games by one goal, which shows they've been getting a lot of wins, sort of quite sort of gritty wins, sort of um, winning ugly. And I think that's sort of that sort of the staple of what they've been Moyes' side were at Everton. They they weren't often they were they would win games by the odd goal too, and they were mm-hmm. sort of t- well organised and, and tough t- tough team to play. I mean, I many a time I, I had. Tough, tough times watching us play Everton because they used to give us a good games, especially at Goodison Park. Um, so yeah, I think Moyes has really helped. Um, obviously, the Man U era was not probably his career best. And I think the um, Sociedad era was also a disaster. Um, even the first ballet had a West, I mean, he did, a, he did an okay job. He didn't do anything spectacular. And obviously, they, did, they didn't keep him on when they hired Pellegrini. But mm. I think obviously... He's come back. It's not easy to come back to us all he got rid of you essentially. So he's come back yeah. there, did, did, did the bare minimum last season, kept them up, and then he's just made they, they've just gone on and on really this season. And just yeah, they, they, they've been um, they've been probably definitely probably been the surprise team of the season, I think, in the Premier League. Yeah, I think I'd uh, struggle to disagree with that, Steve. I'd, I'd go with a here's a concept, right? There will be two London teams in the Premier in the, the Champions League next year. Chelsea and West Ham. Prove me wrong. Oh, that's interesting, Steve. Prove yeah. me wrong. I, shout, I mm. think they wouldn't. I think they remember was it the last season at Upton Park they were in this position when they just point in the season and uh and the Billich, I think it was, where um they had, they had pie at the time and we all said, Oh, can they get to the Champions League? But I think as good as they've been, I do think they, they it may wear off at some point. Um but I do think Back that they can still get European football. I think Europa League 
might be a more realistic target. But the way they're playing, you never know. And this season especially has been so crazy um, that they, they could easily do it. And I think, um, but I, I do still think they may at some point have a bad run of form, um, but sort of and get maybe fifth or sixth or seventh or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I, well, that would be a really good season for them, wouldn't it? I mean, from <laughs> yeah, Luke, from this position, where can you see West Ham finishing, and what would constitute a good season for them? Do you know what? It's interesting. I think I think if they finished where they were right now, they'd be delighted with that. I think I think I think, the, I think everyone the, would be absolutely delighted with that. Absolutely. Everyone affiliated with the club would be delighted with that yeah, finishing fifth. Yeah. I mean, realistically. I think they would have been, before the season started, if they'd finished top half, they would have been absolutely bent their hand off for it. If it had been offered at the start of it, I think that would have been kind of what yeah. they were offered. And they would have said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, so I still think that that's a reasonable uh, aim for them overall. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do it. Um, and, and, you know, part of me hopes they do, actually, because they've, they've played well and they deserve it. Yeah, I mean... Um... If they did uh, sort of a Sheffield United and um, the season didn't really end the way they'd planned because um, Sheffield mm. United were in a similar position at this point last season mm. um, and mm. I think ended up finishing ninth or 10th. Mm. Um, would they still be happy with that? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, everything's a bonus right now. For yeah. them. You know, I mean, I, you know, we, we uh, I can't remember where I predicted, but I think I predicted towards the bottom half of the table um, at the start of the season. So, you know, and I think widely we, we all pretty much agreed on that. I think we maybe had them somewhere between 11th and 13th or something. And that, that seemed reasonable at the time. Um, so anything above that, I think they'll be happy with. They, they might fall away because, you know, injuries and suspensions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they finish top half, they're delighted, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um- just looking at the just looking at the predictions that you guys made, look, you had them uh, around about mid table, um, as did Steve. Had them one place higher than you in about twelfth, um, but mm-hmm. Andy had them sixteenth. Uh oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh no, oh no, that's not good at all. We thought they'd be safe, but we didn't think they would do anything stunning. But they, no. they proved us wrong, and you know we've all got to kind of go. Oh, well, fair enough, we're. We're being a bit harsh. <laughs> he's not. Steve's not listening now. He's not. <laughs> he's ignoring us. <laughs> I've been deliberately trying to wind you up, Steve, and it's not happening. No, because the thing is, you know, you know, at some point, what what the uh, the lineup going to come back at you with is tonight, and uh, I think you're kind of limiting yourself just in case you, you preempt it uh, and like oh, bring it out too early. But uh... <laughs> all right, guys. Um, I was going to ask you a question about Arsenal Man City, but um, we are running a little bit short on time. We've talked, we've waffled on quite a bit. So, yeah. easy, gonna... city win. easy city win. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this week, earlier in the week at least, uh, the UEFA Champions League finally returned for the first of the round of 16 first leg games. Um, as mentioned earlier, Liverpool beat RB Leipzig 2 0 away. PSG hammered Barcelona 4 1 at Camp Nou. Yeah. Dortmund overcame Sevilla 3 2 in a dramatic and thrilling encounter in Spain. And finally, Porto edged out Juventus 2 1 in their home leg. Um, the Liverpool game against Leipzig was played in a neutral location in Budapest due to concerns regarding English teams um, and the rise of COVID here and basically transporting it around Europe. 
So the Tottenham game against Wolfsburg and the Arsenal game against Benfica in the Europa League last night were also played in the same circumstances in neutral venues. Now, given that one team had to give up their home advantage, and in all three situations, it was the European team, it, it was the um, the non-English team, shall we say, mm-hmm. would it not have made sense to play all of these ties as one-legged events? Yeah. Like they did, I, like I, they did earlier. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I think so. Even, even, have, even have the second leg in a neutral venue again, so maybe the same stadium or maybe a different location. Um mm-hmm. I, even though obviously we benefit massively from this, if, if it was Anfield, uh, as a lot of teams would be, I, I think it's only fair for the for the competition in itself. I think that they should play the second leg again in neutral venue. Because obviously there's, there's an issue for away goals, isn't there as well? Because obviously yeah, exactly. we've got two away goals despite Leipzig also being away from home. So obviously if they like score, you scored you scored two away goals, um, yeah. but <laughs> Leipzig weren't in their home stadium. Leipzig no. didn't have a home advantage, so how does yeah. that how does that really work? At the very least, surely they could have just um, removed the away goals rule. Um, for mm. the... Yeah, I'd say so. Cool. So even even if they played in Leipzig with no fans, apart from jet lag, is there really going to be home advantage? Probably not, because um, mm. at the end of the day, it's only an hour difference, two hour difference, and they get on flights for games against teams, they like against Newcastle teams against in. A, different end of the country so I do think they should have got rid of the away goal rules away, away goals rules and potentially as well yeah maybe done it one leg yeah I mean it's um, obviously people will say oh, there, there is no home advantage at the moment because we have no crowds in stadiums but you can't look past the fact that a team is going to be a hell of a lot more familiar playing uh, a hell of a lot more comfortable playing in a stadium yeah. that they play in 19-20 times a season Um wherein they know the dimensions the pitch size suits them it's made to their to, to their comforts um, off the pitch inside the dressing room is all their comforts surely a team is going to be a hell of a lot more comfortable in that situation than they are going to be having to play their home games in a different country let alone a different stadium um, Steve where do you come down on this situation what do you think uh, UEFA should have really done in this situation I think I think the only option here, if you're not going to play over one leg, you're going to have to play over two legs in that same stadium, right? There's, you can't give. I mean, we, we argue as much as we want. You know, that the lack of fans means there's no real home games, um, but form tables don't really bear that out. You still see teams winning more home games than they win away games, and, and you know, and draw home. Um, there's I a level of comfort in your home stadium, isn't there? Of there course. is. You, you understand the pitch. You understand the runs. You understand how the, the different size. You know, it, it, it's just there's no such thing as as fans not being there means you don't have a home advantage. It does mean you don't have you know fifty thousand people screaming your name, which is fine. But <laughs> the only fair way to have done this is if you're going to play one leg away, play both legs away in that neutral venue. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just you you are you're going to disadvantage your team. I mean, it has to be said that they might yet decide to do this, but up to now, the Liverpool second leg game is still scheduled to be played at Anfield. Um, and I would imagine that unless the UK government say otherwise, it will remain there. Um, but I don't know. It's a, it's uh, Liverpool, a, are we still on the tier system for some stadiums? Has that been thingied off again? I don't know. It kind of gets a bit weird think- in the UK. 
elite sports is is exempt more or less from all of these sorts of things. So I think they'll 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 carry on because they, they you know they've they've already said that. So I think they'll just carry on with the same system as far as I know anyway, at least. Well, the situation um, could change with, with regards to COVID. We're expecting some sort of announcement um, in the coming days from Boris Johnson regard with regards to the rules. Um, and kids are expected to be going back to school on the 8th of March. Liverpool's game, um, the second leg, is on the 10th of March. So we could actually have seen a relaxation of rules by then in the UK, which, mm. would, which would make it even easier for that game to be played at Anfield. So... But like Luke says, I think um, elite sport in the UK is pretty much exempt from all these rules anywho. So That's it. I can't say the government stepping in there. It's it's going to be up to UEFA to decide whether or not there's um, a sort of a fairness thing to in play here, which realistically yeah. they, sh- they should be doing, shouldn't they? Um, anyway, moving on. Tuesday night, um, saw Kylian Mbappe get the world talking really um, after a wonderful display in Catalonia that saw him bag an outstanding hat-trick a day later Erlen Braut Haaland bagged himself an excellent brace in Sevilla uh, bears the question Andy are these two the heirs to the Ronaldo and Messi throne um, I think we should first of all I don't think we should try and compare them so young and next race to two, two greats of the games I think what Ronaldo Messi did, it's so alien to the, to the footballing world, I do think it's a bit harsh. It's like comparing uh, Trevor Lawrence to Tom Brady. I think it's just, it's just you shouldn't really be comparing young players to the greatest. But I do think um, these two players are going to be the best, two, two of the best, maybe five, six players in the world in the next five, ten years. I mean, that, that Mbappe, he just, he just reminds me of Henri in his prime. I mean, it's, there's some, some, the, the pace he's got and some of the touches he does and it's just it, it just reminds me of Henri, and I do think he. I mean that that uh, the third goal he scored on the, the what well, team goal that is first of all, but the finish he did as well for the goal, outstanding. the one. I mean, for, I'll say I was watching Liverpool, but I saw the highlights, and yeah, the um, even the, the first goal as well. I mean th- that that's a great finish as well. Um, shout out to Moise Keynes as well, re- re- resurrecting his career at PSG. Um, and I think Haaland as well. I think he'd be someone I'd absolutely love at Liverpool to have. Or I think any of the top teams would absolutely love him in their side. I think mm-hmm. he's he's got everything, um, everything, everything that a, a striker you want really. And unlike his father, I think he will have a really long, successful career. Perhaps a little bit more successful than his father, I would suggest. Or well, I think I think I think he's already more successful because I think his dad's only famous really for being for being injured by Roy Keane in that cycle. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think I think he's excellent. I think he's I think he's got the personality as well. I think that a lot of footballers are lacking these days. I think a lot of footballers are quite media trained. So I do think I do like his personality as well, Halland. I do think yeah. he's something a bit refreshing to the sport as well, a bit like um Jack Grealish. I do think he is he's a quite yeah, he's 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 definitely a character, let's put it that way. Is that um, Luke Andy mentioned there that he thinks uh, Killing Mbappe and Haaland will in the next 10 years become two of the top five or six players in the world? My question, with more with regards to Mbappe than Haaland, is he not already? Mm. There is that argument, there is definitely that argument that he's, um, you know, he is, he, he's in my mind at least, he's, he's certainly top 10 without a question. I don't think anyone could argue otherwise. He, he is a tremendous, tremendous player. Um, I think probably what he needs to do is is, is to win something like a Champions League to, to sort of cement that reputation. 
and, and I think that'll be the thing that we've taken into the stratosphere. And so for me, I think that's the, the key thing, um, you know, and, and the pair of them are amazing players, amazing players, and we're going to be talking about them for years to come with, without a shadow of a doubt, um, assuming that they, you know, they stay healthy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that'd be my taking it. Steve, um, would do you think that for these two to eventually go down in history as two of the greatest or to elevate themselves to the potential that they both clearly have, do they both need to move on from their current clubs? Absolutely. I mean, we talk about kind of, you know, the real kind of legends of the sport in Europe at the moment. And if you take away the Messi Ronaldo, I said, you probably only talk about Lewandowski at Bayern. Um, you know, maybe you talk about Zlatan and Milan. Um, but, you, you know, you need to play for the absolute biggest clubs to be considered one of the true greats. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to PSG, and with respect to Monaco, Mbappe is not playing and has not played for the biggest clubs. Um, likewise, Haaland, he's literally just moved um, from St. Salzburg to Dortmund. He's had a season there. I reckon he'll have maybe one more year there. And then he's an absolute shoe-in to be the replacement for Benzema at Real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I know Barca have been talking for a long time about getting Mbappe in, but you know, those of us in the know are aware of Barcelona's financial situation being an absolute mess. Um, so the question is, if Mbappe can't go to Barcelona, what what is the biggest team he can go to above PSG to, to build his reputation and make himself a, an absolute legend? Um, Bayern Munich, and not many. Bayern, Bayern Munich, uh, Juventus. Manchester City. Real Madrid. Now... No, I mean, we're talking about Haaland going to Real Madrid. Because I, I think I, what I would love to see, and I think we would all love to see, is you know, a re, a, a re kind of kindling of, of the battle line between Madrid and Barca with Haaland at one mm-hmm. and Mbappe at the other. You know, that, yeah. that would really revitalize La Liga. Uh, we'd, we'd all tune in and watch that. And every time you had a, a proper, you know, you, know the, you had the derby, we'd all be like, oh, yes, you know, can't wait to see this. It's Mbappe right versus now, Haaland, isn't it? That's, that would be yeah, the top. Yeah, that's, that would be the headline. And if they did that and they stayed where they were for 10 years, you know, that, that's, what, that's what you would you would tune into La Liga to see. La Liga could sell the rights packages for like double what they're getting just now if they could promise that for the next 10 years. Um, but what, what I do like, one yeah. thing I love about Mbappe is he's not, he's not supposed to be the superstar at PSG. Neymar is. And he makes Neymar look ordinary. <laughs> mm. You know, Neymar might have a few flick, clicks and tricks, and, and you know, don't get me wrong, he's a tremendously talented player, but he doesn't have the pace of Mbappe. He doesn't have the Mbappe just glides when he sprints, right? You, you look at him and you think nobody can hang with him, nobody can ca- keep up with him. <laughs> you know, he's he's a, in a, a league of his own. Yeah, mm. he is. Um, and, and Mbappe's. For me, if Haaland hadn't come on the scene last year, I would have said Mbappe was the best striker in Europe. And that's taking into account the likes of Ronaldo and Messi and Lewandowski still playing. Um, Mbappe's been hampered a little bit this season with some injuries, but even you know, even when he's come back, he looks like he hasn't missed a beat. And we, we forget how young Mbappe is. I mean, he's still only, what, is it 2022? 20, Mbappe was born in December 98. He's exactly 11 months younger than I am. Yeah, and he he burst onto the scene as an eighteen-year-old at Monaco, and we forget how good he was at eighteen, you know. And he's just gotten better. He hasn't slowed. He's added to his game, you know. He isn't playing. He's playing with great players, 
but he could be playing with the best players. And I, be. I think he has to go. He has to leave PSG to be thought of as you know one of the all-time greats. I would. There's an interesting uh, debate here because although um, he is at PSG and a lot of people do still look down at PSG because uh, the French league is generally considered a farmer's league. Um, Mbappe, he has, what, three or four league titles to his name, a few domestic cups Mm. um, and a World Cup to his name. Let's not forget at the age of 22, uh, a World Cup in which he was easily the best player at the tournament, despite the fact that he didn't get that award. But is can he actually is there a is there a future wherein he can cement that future at PSG? And what would it take for that to happen? Would it take um, maybe the the strength of the French league as a whole to progress for that to be um, for that to be possible, or maybe even just PSG winning a couple of Champions League titles with Mbappe in the side? No, here's the thing. <laughs> I, I like the whole, like, you know, the, the French League is a farmer's league. And I recall last season when it was French teams that were dumping all the English teams out of the Champions League and the memes going yes. up going, yeah. are, are we the farmers? <laughs> are we the farmers now? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, there is a lot of disrespect to the French League and, and the European performances over the last decade have shown that it's it's not deserved. Well, um, okay, France, okay, then um, why are you saying that? Then why can't then why can't Kylian Mbappe become one of the best become one of the best players of all time with PSG? Because if the PSG will never win the Champions League, no I French really team. do think I really really do think you're going to regret that statement. I think so too. I'm I'm happy to to hold on that one. I think where they got to last season, getting to the final, I think that was them peaking. Um, I think uh, they will throw money at it. They will always throw money at it, but. I, I think um, when they lose Mbappe and Neymar, and they will, um, I think that team's going to go through a period of transition where they throw money at big money players and things go horribly wrong. Andy? Um, one thing I will say is that if you look at the managers they've had over the last seven years, it's not exactly anything special. I mean, you got Laurent Blanc for three years, and then you got Unai Emery for two years. Then Thomas Tuchel, who I've obviously done about at Chelsea so far, but I'm not exactly his biggest fan. But now they've got Poch, that could be, for me, I think that could be something that could maybe tip him over the edge. Because I do think um, that's something they maybe have lacked before. He's maybe just a, a great manager. So I do think now they've got Poch, that that could be, yeah, that, that could be a difference. It could be the difference, and uh, we all do, um, as we're all fans of English football, we all do rate um, Richard Pochettino uh, as a manager. But the one thing Richard Pochettino has never demonstrated in his managerial capability is the ability to win trophies, and uh, he, he hasn't done that. He hasn't really done that. Um, yes, he's already won one with PSG, but I think that was already pretty much done, wasn't it? So... Is will there be a concern there among PSG supporters that he that he doesn't really have any honors, any major honors to his uh, resume? Potentially, but then at the same time, he he didn't have the likes of Mbappe and Neymar at his disposal. When he had Harry Kane and Young Min Son and all these players like that, but um, like Spurs were never like considered. Uh, I'll bring up one situation. Okay, the 2015-16. English Premier League season, none of the top teams were at their best that season. No, no. There was a clear 
clear favourite to win the Premier League title that season. And they finished third in the end. That being Mauricio Pochettino's Tottenham Hotspur. Were they ever the favourite? I remember Man City were the favourites before the season started and then... Yeah, we, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm talking of January, February time. When, I, I swear, yeah, I remember when Arsenal beat Leicester, everyone thought Arsenal might be the team that had to do it. But I do think... I don't think Spurs were ever considered the favourite. I think there's one point where we thought, oh, Spurs could should, do it. Spurs it could should have been Spurs who won the title, let's be honest, shouldn't it? it should, yeah, Spurs should yeah. have won the title that season. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean Leicester, Leicester did finish 10 points clear of anyone else. I think Leicester were... Mm exceptional last season so I do think yeah. Um, but I, I, I just don't remember Spurs ever being seen as the favourite for the Premier League in that season I think it was Arsenal for a little bit it was City for the first few months and obviously then Leicester came through but I, I'm just not sure Spurs were ever considered the absolute favourite to win the league in my, in my opinion mm. Mm. Luke what do you think will Mauricio Pochettino win a, win a Champions League with PSG? They would have the ambition, yes. They would have the ambition to do it. Whether he can or not, I don't know. Um, it, I think he would have the ambition and you know the resources uh, to do it. I know this is the thing. I honestly don't know. Um, if if I was them, I'd be trying to hoover up the best young players across the continent as much as I could pay as much as it takes to get them, and 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 you know that that's really the key thing, and then supplement it with one or two. Really, really top drawer, um, you, you know, recruitment uh, hires to, to do the job, but it's uh, it's difficult to say. I, I personally think the French league is, is probably not strong enough to attract the right kind of players, so I, I, I personally don't think so. Mm-hmm. But I would never completely rule it out. Does that make sense? I mean, it's difficult to know. It does, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm just playing devil's advocate in this situation yeah. asking these questions. Um, I do very much like Mauricio Pochettino as a manager, and I do think he'll be successful with Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is just sort of, it's one of those situations, as you say, it's kind of like you don't really know, do you? There's a, there's a lot of factors that come into play with that situation. So, but I, I think uh, Paris Saint Germain as a club are in the best position that they've been in. Mm pretty much in my whole lifetime now with the team that they have at their disposal now, the funds that they have at their disposal now and the manager that they have at the helm, PSG have never been in a stronger position than they are now. That's true. And and, and also they can capitalise on the demise of the likes of the Barcelonas and other clubs that are maybe not willing to spend and, and, and get That's the right the players. That's the other half and, of it, isn't it? Like you know, say, so that, that is where the, the, open, you know, the open door is, so to speak. So anything's possible. Um, but I would say that there's a good window of opportunity for them. I, w- I wouldn't say it was a big one, but I think it's uh, I think it's as good as it can get at this moment in time. All righty. Uh, moving on to the other first leg ties, which are set to be played next week. Um, Manchester City host Borussia Mönchengladbach, while Chelsea host Atletico Madrid. Um, Luke, I'll come straight back to you um, to Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a big game. What are you expecting from your boys? Come on, Chelsea! Come on, Chelsea! That's pretty much what I'm expecting, pretty much the whole time. Come uh, on, Everton! <laughs> Come on, Liverpool! Come on, Rangers! Johnny Vegas! <laughs> At least I support a football team and study a bunch of boys feed. Whatever you're right, and I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to congratulate your football team on their first ever Premier League title. 
Um, they've only got 54 more to go and they can match the predecessors. Shut it. Just, um, just a point of order as well. We were talking about the... Um, That's up, you slag. We were talking about the Champions League games um, and Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea is going to be held yep. uh, in Romania. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a good game. Um, I think the fact that it's that it's not being held in Spain is an advantage for Chelsea, yeah. definitely. Uh, I sort of hope we can get a result, but, uh, you know, Atletico are a good team, aren't they? So who knows what's going to happen. I'd like to think that we could uh, we could take away a draw at the end of it. I'd, I'd, I'd hope so. Um, but I think they'll probably beat us by a goal. That's what I think. Iago Silva versus Luis Suarez. That's what's going to decide that tie. I actually think mm. the first leg is going to be really tight. I think it could be a nil-nil, mm. maybe a one-one. Um, I think obviously both see. I think we've seen so far as too short. I think he's been quite quite cagey. Yeah. They've been quite astute, and I think everyone knows what a Simeone team is like. So I, I can see that first leg being a real. Not very exciting. I think that could be. I think it could be a ball draw, maybe a one-one. A um, but yeah, I, I that's what I think anyway. Um, just a point of order. I'm just going to interrupt with something completely unrelated to the topic. Duncan Castles is reporting that Newcastle have asked Rafa Benitez to come back. Ooh. Did you know? Can I just point out, did you know that I used to play the same football team as Duncan Castles at university? Oh, yeah. I did, actually. You have told me that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was that. an absolutely rubbish footballer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. only, only, only because he kept putting me in the bench. I'm <laughs> raging about that. <laughs> I'm going to sound by that little clip and add it in. Add in. <laughs> I'll send it to him. I'll send it to him, honestly. But, Duncan uh, Luke yeah. says you're rubbish, mate. <laughs> I know, and and, uh, and by the way, in our whole residence, I did actually beat him at Subutio in the finals. Excuse me, my cat's just meowing in the background, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> Is that what it was? I thought you'd stubbed your toe. I, no, it's the cat uh, deciding that she wants a dinner somehow. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and just before we wrap this up, I would like to um, interject with yet another Newcastle-related tangent. And sorry, that... sorry um, you, were saying, you were saying about that. Sorry, Kieran. Do you want to yeah. read the court that wee bit? Oh yeah, just uh, Rafa Benitez. Offer uh, we've offered. Um, apparently, Ashley's asked Rafa Benitez to keep Newcastle in the Premier League this season. Um, I can't see that happening personally. It's, it's uh, a recording of how Rafa stopped laughing. Uh, I don't think given, Rafa would given do that it. Rafa has publicly said, "I will never ever come back to that club whilst Mike Ashley is in charge." He's not going to do it, is he? Much as you'd like him to, he's not going to do it while Ashley's still in charge. Okay, here's another little uh, development for you. Reports um, from the Chronicle, who are normally uh-huh. pretty good with Newcastle-related news, obviously it's our, our local paper. Reports claim Rafa Benitez is not completely against the idea of taking the job at present, but he's leaning against the offer that Ashley has presented to him. Dang. Probably Ashley's asked for a loan of tenor. <laughs> or he's going to spend £100 at Sports Direct first or something like that. So uh, if, Let me just say that if that did happen and he did decide to retake his position, Tyneside would be walking on air for mm. weeks. It would be. They would be because it would be, I mean, having him come back and, and have unfinished business and all that, that would be amazing. Um, and, and you know, speaking as a neutral and, and you know, with, a, with someone with a bit of a soft spot for Newcastle, I think it'd be amazing for them. Um, 
but I just can't see it. I don't know. Oh, nah. it's a it's a tough situation for me because it it would be an absolute dream if that <laughs> happened. But um, the cynic in me saying that it won't happen, but the optimist in me is got my fingers crossed under the table. If you know what I mean. Um, I know that's it. Here's, here's a question for you, right? Because this is something that I know Newcastle fans have been talking about, right? If Benitez comes back, what does he do about your goalkeeping situation? Because my understanding... That's Martin Dubravka in goal because Martin Dubravka should be the goalkeeper, as every Newcastle fan will tell you. Because my understanding is Dubravka is about to leave because Bruce won't restore him. Martin Dubravka, there's rumblings in the press that Martin Dubravka is unhappy, but that's come around today. Um, Martin Dubravka, he's not going to leave, let's be honest. Um, Not any time in the future, but if he continues to not get his game, then I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen. But honestly, the fact that he's still playing Carl Darlow and he hasn't yet restored Martin Dubravka is getting pretty much on the nerves of every single Newcastle fan in the world because... Martin Dubravka is an outstanding goalkeeper and is the he was been our player of the year for two seasons in a row. Like there's 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 no secret <sighs> that he he last season, Martin Dubravka was the reason Newcastle United stayed in the Premier League. Can't argue that. That's a really that's that, that's solid answer argument. Can't argue with that either, definitely not. No. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just just before we end, um, I would like to wish a very happy retirement. To one Johan Kabay. He is my all time favourite Newcastle United. Oh, player. he was a great player. He was a great player, actually. I really like. Oh, his, his, free player, kicks, wasn't he? his free kicks, amazing. Yeah, he's, mm. uh, he, he was he just a tidy footballer. He was brilliant. Johan Kabay, he, he, oh, like you say, he announced his retirement on Twitter earlier today. Um, and yeah. it, it, did, it did make me sad because, as I say, he is probably. And I know all the Newcastle fans will laugh at me for saying this, but I know he's not the greatest player we've ever had, but in my he was my favourite. So, Jan uh, Kabay is my favourite ever Newcastle United player, so a very happy retirement to him. Um, and that is where we will leave this episode. Um, yep, that is all we've got time for, so do be sure to tune in again next week when we'll be back to debate another week of football headlines from around the Premier League and beyond. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye.